Good morning. Our reading today is from Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Mark 9, beginning at verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. God bless this reading. Thank you, Glenda. And thank you, Sanctuary. Once again, it's wonderful to have you guys here, and we really appreciate the blessing you are to our church, and we we appreciate it. Let's pray, and we'll have a look at this humbling passage. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we come to it confidently, knowing that your Holy Spirit lives in us, lives amongst us. And we pray now that, Holy Spirit, you will guide us, you will convict us, you will challenge us, And you will lift us up as we seek to humble ourselves. So, Father God, bless us now as we open this word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you're not much of an Australian if you don't like sport. Um, Have we got that clicked on? Uh, Yeah, you're going to have to click it on, on your screen so I can... Anyway, um, can you go to the first slide? Uh, so it doesn't, uh, you're not much of an Australian. The second slide, maybe? Oh, it's all set up wrong. Okay. My apologies for those online. My apologies. Let's start again. So you're not much of an Australian uh, if you don't like sport. Oh, look, there's some sporting people behind me. Um, now, Part of the sporting season is the award ceremonies, and the award ceremonies are a huge culmination of often hard work and, and, and blood, sweat and tears and all that kind of thing. For the AFL, it's a Brownlow medal. For the Rugby League, it's the Dally M Awards. For the Women's AFL, the Best and Fairest Award. For Netball, the Liz Ellis Diamond. Uh, for Men's Basketball, the NRL Most Valuable Player. For Women's Basketball, the WNRL, uh, NBL, sorry. Most Valuable Player. For Men's Cricket, the Alan Border Medal. And for Women's Cricket, the Belinda Clark Award. Now, there's many, many others uh, from local junior teams right through to our national teams. The awards ceremony is an important part. Now, while winners often say things like, I couldn't do it without my team, 
in the end, everybody knows that they have desired to win that award and they are proud to win that award. We all desire to win these awards. It's part of our fabric and it can also be lucrative for them as international sports people. More money, more prestige, more honour and your name gets up in lights. See, when you receive the accolades, and trust me, I have no idea, but when you receive the accolades, when you receive your award, the training, the sacrifices, the pain, they're all forgotten because it's all worth it. Um, that's why we have a problem with performance-hancing drugs. It's the prestige, the power and the privilege that comes with being the best. It means people will do anything to get there. I want you to imagine for a moment it's our end-of-year celebration and we decide to have an awards, awards ceremony for the church. Who would get your vote? Who do you value the most amongst us? Yeah, thanks for pointing at me. This is really the moment I need that. Thank you very much. Um, who has contributed the most towards the success of the year gone? What are the criteria that would you would use to determine who would win the Francis Tuck Medal? The Joyce Kennedy Diamond? See, this morning we encounter the disciples having a discussion about the award ceremony that they think is going to take place at the end of all this ministry with Jesus. They're wondering who at the end of all this, out of the chosen 12, will win the Jesus Christ medal. And so as we enter into this passage, we have a great, I guess, cultural uh, contradiction that happens but it's going to help us if we orientate ourselves geographically uh, to what's happening here. And let me just read to you verse, uh, verse 30. Uh, verse 30 says this. It says, They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. See, in some respect, their travels are looking a bit like the wanderings of Israel. Now, I haven't put a big line through. But effectively, if you have a look at uh, the big map uh, is the top part of the small map. map. And you've got uh, Sea of Galilee. Now, the transfiguration is likely to have happened on Mount Hermon. So remember, they've been wandering up in this Sea of Galilee area. They've gone right north. They've ended at Mount Hermon. Jesus has come down the mountain with Peter, James and John. He's found the disciples arguing. Uh, he's sorted that out and healed a... Uh, here, well, basically, um, a young boy, um, uh, he's commanded the evil spirit to leave him and stopped his seizures. But then we, we, we come at the end of, um, of the previous passage and we're told that they'd gone indoors so Jesus could uh, speak to them privately. And now as we enter into this uh, section, we're told that they're heading down through the region of Galilee, which is just on the, uh, on the west side there of the sea, of Galilee and we're told that Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were you see there's been so many crowds there's been so much happening there's been so much fanfare that Jesus is now in a moment where he wants to take his disciples alone and make sure that they get it make sure that they understand what's happening see and the reason is he is about to resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He is about, about to go towards his death and his resurrection. 
And in fact, after Luke gives the account of our passage today, Luke says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. See, Jesus has been revealed as the one he claims to be, his teaching, his miracles, his transfiguration. We've seen over the last couple of weeks that we've seen that he's got greater power than Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, all the prophets, all the priests. He is the the, the high priest. He is the great prophet. He is the one who is able to become Israel for Israel, to fulfill the law completely. We saw last week where the disciples couldn't heal this boy. He was greater than the 12 disciples. He cast the demon out. You see, things are getting real. By now, it should be obvious. So in this passage, it's a focused time of walking and teaching his disciples as they head through Galilee. And he begins by again explaining to them what is about to unfold. Just have a look there, verses 31 and 32. The Son of Man, he says, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. See, the idea that the powerful Messiah would suffer and die just did not make any sense. Last time Jesus told them this, remember when, Jesus, when Peter finally declares, you are the Messiah, when he asks, who do the people say I am? Or who do you say I am? You are the Messiah. Jesus then tells them what's going to happen and, Jesus, and Peter takes Jesus aside and starts to rebuke him. See, he's talking in riddles. Is this a parable? So we were told that the disciples just don't understand. Now, I've been coaching an under-seven soccer team this year. That's us. That's on dress-up day, don't worry. But they are that crazy. See, they're crazy seven-year-olds. They arrive at training and everything I say, they seem to not have a clue about. (laughs) I've played soccer since I was five years old. And I'm using language that makes no sense to them. Dribble the ball. Pass the ball. Play a one-two. Kick off. Move into space. It's just like talking to nothing. So they just get the balls, run around, and then we all have fun for the rest of the afternoon. See, when you encounter something out of your ordinary language and understanding, it's met with confusion. And the promised Messiah was never going to be killed. That makes no sense in their mind. He is going to rise from the dead. What is he talking about? Is this a metaphor? Is it a simile? What's going on here? See, my clearest memory of college is graduation. I finally had my Bachelor of Theology in Bible College. And I still remember standing in this group of lecturers. I don't know how I ended up being accepted into this little group of conversation. They were very humble people, so they accepted me in. And we were just chatting away. They'd become good friends of mine. And one of them said, and I'll never forget this, he goes, Oh, Bugs, I remember when you first got here and you started asking those questions. I still remember the questions you were asking and thinking, This guy should not be here. 
Well, I felt really good about my uh, bachelor after that. It was a very humbling experience. But in a sense, this is what's going on here. See, they don't want to be the stupid person in the class. And we're told that they had no idea what he was saying, but they were too afraid to ask him about it. I don't want to be the stupid one. And so they just carry on. No one wants to be that guy. But their time comes anyway to be the stupid ones because verse 33 tells us that they arrived arrived in Capernaum. And you can see it there. Now, they were in Capernaum back in chapter 1 and this is where... uh, this is where Andrew and Simon's uh, mother, uh, or Simon Peter's mother-in-law is, and Jesus healed her. But Jesus confronts them with a question. They've been arguing on the road. We don't know anything about this argument to this point. All we know is they're confused about what he's saying. And now Jesus says, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, if you think about it, it's very hard for us. This is a walking culture. I think we miss this a lot. Jesus has found uh, some privacy with his 12 disciples. They're walking along a road. People walked everywhere. They wouldn't have been walking all around him. They would have, some would have been at the back, some you know, in twos or threes or whatever they were. And Jesus is hearing them arguing about something. Anyway, so now he confronts them when they're in the house, we're told. Now, this would be Simon Peter's Uh, mother-in-law well the shame sets in but he knows see like children who have been caught out and feel shame and this happens regularly in our house they're afraid of the wrath that is to come they say nothing they just wait to see what's about to unfold maybe he doesn't really know oh just about some farming techniques in the country we were walking through Peter reckons you harvest early to ensure the crop. I was arguing you, you need to, get the, to allow the grain to develop. Well, thankfully, they didn't lie to him. Bet you they were waiting for someone to say something. But we find out they were actually arguing about who was the greatest. Who was going to win the Jesus Christ medal? Now, I want you to see just how much of a contrast this is to what Jesus has just been teaching them on the road. Who is the greatest? Jesus, okay? Sunday school answer. What's Jesus going to do? Well, he's just been trying to tell them he's going to die for them. He is going to willingly be killed as the greatest act of service, as the greatest act of humility. And what are they arguing about? Which one of them is going to be the greatest? See, they've forgotten completely about the teaching that happened back in chapter 8. If you remember, the, he, 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 said, he said this. Let me read it to you if you can read that. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. See, they just weren't getting it. And we don't get it. We don't understand the extent of what Jesus is asking for of us. So back in Capernaum, in verse 35, we're told that Jesus sits down and calls the twelve to him in the house. Now this is, you think about the response of this. It's very different to being angry and being upset at them and being impatient, like I often am as a father when my kids just don't get it. He sits down and he gathers them together. And he starts teaching them. He says this. He says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. Have I got that up there? Anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. See, I don't think there is anything more countercultural, counterhuman than this statement. It's simply saying that instead of the most valuable player award, there will be the most humble servant award. That will be the pinnacle. And a humble servant would not be asking the question of whether perhaps they are going to be the greatest. They would not write the book, as my college lecturer kept saying, humility and how I achieved it. think he might have directed that at me at some point see and it will no doubt be a person that nobody even knew existed i think these awards in heaven are going to be the most surprising awards you've ever had you want to know why we don't have a church award ceremony because i don't even know who should achieve those awards none of us do Because they pray behind closed doors, not on street corners. They pull weeds from the gardens and you never see them. They cook food. They pray for people. They sacrifice money. They sacrifice time. And at the end of the day, when all's said and done, they're on their knees asking God forgiveness for the things they haven't done right. Now, I have the privilege of seeing glimpses of that right through our church, and I do believe that I've learned a great deal about humble servantship since I've been here, and I think, you know, I praise God for that. But I can guarantee that these are people that you would never even know were working so hard for the gospel. Meanwhile, the ones bringing attention to themselves or grumbling about not getting what they want, well, they're oblivious to their own shortcomings. And somehow, in some little way, they're wondering who is the greatest. See, it's all so countercultural. Jesus is countercultural. It flies in the face of what drives social media, celebrity, individualism, which drives our capitalism, our economy. It drives everything. This competitive nature. And then Jesus demonstrates this by taking a little child in his arms. Now, I want to be careful here because little children weren't elevated to the status that we do now. They're not celebrated. They're not, you know, the way we celebrate and, and make sure they've got a voice and, and all these things. Uh, in, that, uh, in that culture, they weren't, it wasn't like that. 
they were to be not part and center. And there's a good reason for that. And I think it was simply the mortality rate. Mortality of children was a very real part of the life. And until someone came to an age where it looked like they were going to survive, well, they weren't really valued. But Jesus, gathering his uh, child in his arms, says in verse 37, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome uh, me, does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is an act of humility. To give an attention to the child, by welcoming a child, you are serving that child. You are potentially washing that child's feet when they enter your home. You are providing warmth or attention to them. It was lowering yourself below the ones who had the lowest status. And this is what Jesus says over and over and over again. The first will be last, the last will be first. When I first became a Christian, I think this was the greatest countercultural thing that I ever encountered. I became a Christian through a soccer team. It was a church soccer team. I was invited as a non-Christian to take part. And I'll never forget the difference between the teams that I played with before and this team. The teams I played with before, it was like we had to keep cutting each other down, which is often the Aussie way, cut each other down to lift yourself up. It's almost like everything was a competition. Everything was all about who could, who could prevail over everyone else. I think we see it when we drive. Which kind of driver are you when someone wants to merge in front of you after throwing up the inside, flying up the inside? I had a P-plate to do it on the way onto the M4 the other day. Well, I accelerated as hard as I could to try to knock him into the side barrier, but it never worked. <laughs> he was too quick. Must have been a skyline or something. No, I did not do that. But gee, didn't I think that? Didn't I think, hey, what are you doing? Jesus says, yield. Yield. Humble yourself. What I should have been doing is perhaps praying for that P-plater. Making sure he didn't do something silly. See, this is so countercultural. We're in this big competition for everything in this human world so often. See, when I became a Christian, the church that I became a Christian in, they used to sing this song and it, it resonates with me even to today. I don't know if you, I don't think we've sung it since I've been here here. Maybe we have. But it's, brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are brothers on the road. We are here to help each other, walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you. Speak the peace you long to hear. I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I'll laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we've seen this journey through. When we sing to God in heaven, we shall find such harmony. Born of all we've known together of Christ's love and agony. Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. See, that's the character that we're called to. 
and the award ceremony in heaven will be very, very distinctly surprising. The first will be last, and the last first. And if you want to know the great example of that, that is Jesus resolutely heading to the cross, undeserving of death, laying down his life on the cross, undeserving of even taking on this mortal flesh, of giving up his glory, as we saw he had done in the transfiguration, of humbly serving and washing his disciples' feet, on the night before he is about to die on the cross. See, there is no other way that we are to live. That is the way, as humble servants. And it's not a race to the top, it's a race to the bottom. It's to see who can elevate Christ as high as we possibly can by being forgotten. Because it's not for our glory, it's for his. Let me leave you with Philippians 2 from verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be uh, used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every, uh, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first will be last and the last will be first. Heavenly Father, thank you for this rebuke uh, we do thank you for that Lord we thank you that that you have demonstrated your own love for us in this that while we were sinners Christ died for us Lord I do pray that each of us will be challenged to be a humble servant not to seek fame not to not to use those small comments to let people know how much we're giving or let people know how much we're praying or let people know how much we're doing that we will close our doors and offer all these things as a humble sacrifice for your kingdom, knowing that you have given the greatest sacrifice of all, and that is your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, Father, I pray that we will humble ourselves so that you may receive all the glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name.